Are you, Are you ready? ready? Let's go! Don't you sometimes just want to talk about everything? You know, there's days when you can just talk, 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 about anything. Need to sit back and chat about nothing at all? Nothing but Julie. Coming at you with fun and creative topics and interviews. Did you hear Julie's podcast? She's got the greatest topic. I did. I love it. Come join the chat about everything, anything, and nothing. So unwind and tune in to Nothing But Julie. Great topics and cool interviews. With some pretty awesome people. And now, without further delay, here's Nothing But Julie. Thanks so much for joining me. It's Julie Schrager, your host of Nothing But Julie Podcast. I'm going to continue on with my short story series. And today I am going to narrate to you a wonderful short story by one of my favorite authors, Ray Bradbury, and it is called Zero Hour. I hope you enjoy it. It's a science fiction story considered to be Bradbury's very, very best story. So... I hope you like it. Oh, it was to be so jolly. What a game. Such excitement they hadn't known in years. The children catapulted this way and that across the green lawns, shouting at each other, holding hands, flying in circles, climbing trees, laughing. Overhead, the rockets flew and beetle cars whispered by on the streets. But the children played on. Such fun, such tremulous joy such tumbling and hearty screaming. Mink ran into the house, all dirt and sweat. For her seven years, she was loud and strong and definite. Her mother, Mrs. Morris, hardly saw her as she yanked out drawers and rattled pans and tools into a large sack. Heavens, Mink, what's going on? The most exciting game ever, gasped Mink, pink-faced. Stop and get your breath, said the mother. No, I'm all right, gasped Mink. Okay, I take these things, Mom. But don't dent them, said Mrs. Morris. Thank you, thank you, cried Mink, and boom, she was gone like a rocket. Mrs. Morris surveyed the fleeing tot. What's the name of the game? Invasion, said Mink. The door slammed. In every yard on the street, children brought out knives and forks and pokers and old stovepipes and can openers. It was an interesting fact that this fury and bustle occurred only among the younger children. The older ones, those ten years and more, disdained the affair and marched scornfully off on hikes or played a more dignified version of hide-and-seek on their own. Meanwhile, parents came and went in chromium beetles, Repairmen came to repair the vacuum elevators in houses, to fix the fluttering television sets or hammer upon stubborn food delivery tubes. The adult civilization passed and repassed the busy youngsters, jealous of the fierce energy of the wild tots, tolerantly amused at their flourishings, longing to join them themselves. This and this and this, said Mink, instructing the others with their assorted spoons and wrenches. Do that and bring that over here. No. Here, Ninny. Right. Now, get back while I fix this. Tongue and teeth, face wrinkled in thought. Like that, see? Yay, shouted the kids. 
Twelve-year-old Joseph Connors ran up. Go away, Mink, straight at him. I want to play, said Joseph. Can't, said Mink. Why not? You just make fun of us. Honest, I wouldn't. No, we know you. Go away, or we'll kick you. Another twelve-year-old boy whirred by on little motor skates. Hey, Joe, come on, let them sissies play. Joseph showed reluctance and a certain wistfulness. I want to play, he said. You're old, said Mink firmly. Not that old, said Joe sensibly. You'd only laugh and spoil the invasion. The boy on the motor skates made a rude lip noise. Come on, Joe. Them and their fairies. Nuts. Joseph walked off slowly. He kept looking back, all down the block. Mink was already busy again. She made a kind of apparatus with her gathered equipment. She had appointed another little girl with a pad and pencil to take down notes in painful, slow scribbles. Their voices rose and fell in the warm sunlight. All around them the city hummed. The streets were lined with good, green, and peaceful trees. Only the wind made a conflict across the city, across the country, across the continent. In a thousand other cities there were trees and children in avenues, businessmen in their quiet offices taping their voices or watching televisors. Rockets hovered like darning needles in the blue sky. There was the universal quiet conceit and easiness of men accustomed to peace, quiet certain there would be never trouble again. Arm in arm, men all over earth were a united front. The perfect weapons were held in equal trust by all nations. A situation of incredibly beautiful balance had been brought about. There were no traitors among men, no unhappy ones, no disgruntled ones. Therefore, the world was based upon a stable ground. Sunlight illuminated half the world and the trees drowsed in a tide of warm air. Mink's mother, from her upstairs window, gazed down. The children. She looked upon them and shook her head. Well, they'd eat well, sleep well, and be in school on Monday. Bless their vigorous little bodies. She listened. Mink talked earnestly to someone near the rose bush, though there was no one there. These odd children, and the little girl, what was her name? Anna? Anna took notes on a pad. First, Mink asked the rosebush a question, then called the answer to Anna. Triangle, said Mink. Triangle? How do you spell it? Try, T-R-I, spelled Mink. What's a try, said Anna with difficulty. Angle. Angle? T-R-I, spelled Mink slowly, then snapped, Oh, spell it yourself. She went on to other words. Beam, she said. I haven't got try, said Anna. Well, hurry, hurry, cried Mink. Mink's mother leaned out the upstairs window. Angle, A, 
N-G-L-E. That's how you spell the word. Oh, thanks, Mrs. Morris, said Anna. Certainly, said Mink's mother, and withdrew, laughing, to dust the hall with an electro-duster magnet. The voices wavered on the shimmery air. Beam, said Anna, fading. 497A and B and X, said Minx, far away, seriously. And a fork and a string and a hex, hexagony, hexagonal. At lunch, Mink gulped milk at one toss and was at the door. Her mother slapped the table. You sit right back down, commanded Mrs. Morris. Hot soup in a minute. She poked a red button on the kitchen butler, and ten seconds later something landed with a bump in the rubber receiver. Mrs. Morris opened it, took out a can with a pair of aluminum holders, unsealed it with a flick, and poured hot soup into a bowl. During all this, Mink fidgeted. Hurry, Mom. This is a matter of life and death. Aw. I was the same way at your age. Always life and death, I know. Mink banged away at the soup. Slow down, said Mom. Can't, said Mink. Drill's waiting for me. Who's Drill? What a peculiar name, said Mom. You don't know him, said Mink. A new boy in the neighborhood, asked Mom. He's new, all right, said Mink. She started on her second bowl. Which one is Drill, asked Mom. He's around, said Mink evasively. You'll make fun. Everybody pokes fun. Gee, darn. Is Drill shy? Yes, n no, in, in a way. Gosh, Mom, I gotta run if we want to have the invasion. Who's invading what? Martians invading Earth. Well, not exactly Martians. They're, I, I don't know, from up. She pointed with her spoon. And inside, said Mom, touching Mink's feverish brow. Mink rebelled. You're laughing. You'll kill Drill and everybody. I didn't mean to, said Mom. Drill's a Martian? No, he's, well, maybe from Jupiter or Saturn or Venus. Anyway, he's had a hard time. I imagine. Mrs. Morris hid her mouth behind her hand. They couldn't figure a way to attack Earth. We're impregnable, said Mom, in mock seriousness. That's the word Drill used. Impreg... That was the word, Mom. My, my, Drill's a brilliant little boy. Two-bit words. They couldn't figure a way to attack, Mom. Drill says, he says, in order to make a good fight, you got to have a new way of surprising people. That way, you win. And he also says, you got to have help from your enemy. A fifth column, said Mom. Yeah, that's what Drill said and they couldn't figure a way to surprise Earth or get help. No wonder. We're pretty darn strong, laughed Mom, cleaning up. Mink sat there, staring at the table, seeing what she was talking about, until one day, whispered Mink, melodramatically, they thought of children. Well, 
said Mrs. Morris brightly, and they thought of how grown-ups are so busy, but they never look under rose bushes or on lawns. Only for snails and fungus. And there's something about dim-dums. Dim-dims? Dimmins shuns. Dimensions? Four of them. And there's something about kids under nine and imagination. It's real funny to hear drill talk. Mrs. Morris was tired. Well, it must be funny. You're keeping drill waiting now. It's getting late in the day, and if you want to have your invasion before your supper and bath, you better jump. Do I have to take a bath, growled Mink? You do. Why is it children hate water? No matter what age you live in, children hate water behind the ears. Drill says I won't have to take baths, said Mink. Oh, he does, does he? He told all the kids that no more baths, and we can stay up till 10 o'clock and go to, to two televisor shows on Sunday instead of one. Well, Mr. Drill better mind his P's and Q's. I'll call up his mother and Mink went to the door. We're having trouble with guys like Pete Britz and Dale Jerrick. They're growing up. They make fun. They're worse than parents. They just won't believe in drill. They're so snooty because they're growing up. You'd think they know better. They were little only a couple of years ago. I hate them worst. We'll kill them first. Your father and I last? Drill says you're dangerous. Know why? Because you don't believe in Martians. They're going to let us run the world. Well, not just us, but the kids over in the next block, too. I might be queen. She opened the door. Mom? Yes? What's Lodge? Ick? Logic? Why, dear, Logic is knowing what things are true and not true. He mentioned that, said Mink. And what's impressionable? It took her a minute to say it. Why, it means... Her mother looked at the floor laughing gently. It means to be a child, dear. Thanks for lunch. Mink ran out and stuck her head back in. Mom, I'll be sure you won't be hurt much. Really? Well, thanks, said Mom. Slam went the door. At four o'clock, the audio visor buzzed. Mrs. Morris flipped the tab. Hello, Helen, she said, in welcome. Hello, Mary. How are things in New York? Fine. How are things in Scranton? You look tired. So do you, the children underfoot, said Helen. Mrs. Morris sighed. My mink, too. The super invasion. Helen laughed. Are your kids playing that game, too? Lord, yes. Tomorrow it'll be geometrical jacks and motorized hopscotch. Were we this bad when we were kids in 48? Worse. Japs and Nazis. Don't know how my parents put up with me. Tomboy. Parents learn to shut their ears. A silence. What's wrong, Mary? asked Helen. Mrs. Morris's eyes were half-closed. Her tongue slid slowly, thoughtfully over her lower lip. Eh, she jerked. Oh, nothing. Just thought about that. Shutting ears and such. Never mind. Where were we?
My boy Tim's got a crush on some guy named Drill, I think it was. Must be a new password. Mink likes him, too. Didn't know it got as far as New York. Word of mouth, I imagine. Looks like a scrap drive. I talked to Josephine, and she said her kids, that's in Boston, are wild on this new game. It's sweeping the country. At this moment, Mink trotted into the kitchen to gulp a glass of water. Mrs. Morris turned. How are things going? Almost finished, said Mink. Swell, said Mrs. Morris. What's that? A yo-yo, said Mink. Watch. She flung the yo-yo down its string, reaching the end. It vanished. See, said Mink. Oop. Dibbling her finger, she made the yo-yo reappear and zip up the string. Do that again, said her mother. Can't. Zero hours, five o'clock. Bye. Mink exited, zipping her yo-yo. On the audio visor, Helen laughed. Tim brought one of those yo-yos in this morning, but when I got curious, he said he wouldn't show it to me, and when I tried to work it, finally, it wouldn't work. You're not impressionable, said Mrs. Morris. What? <laughs> Never mind. Something I thought of. Can I help you, Helen? I wanted to get that black and white cake recipe. The hour drowsed by, the day waned, the sun lowered in the peaceful blue sky. Shadows lengthened on the green lawns. The laughter and excitement continued. One little girl ran away, crying. Mrs. Morris came out the front door. Mink, was that Peggy Ann crying? Mink was bent over in the yard near the rose bush. Yeah, she's a scare baby. We won't let her play now. She's getting too old to play. I guess she grew up all of a sudden. Is that why she cried? Nonsense. Give me a civil answer, young lady, or inside you come. Mink whirled in consternation, mixed with irritation. I can't quit now. It's almost time. I'll be good. I'm sorry. Did you hit Peggy Ann? No, honest. You ask her. It was something, well, she's just a scaredy pants. The ring of children drew in around Mink, where she scowled at her work with spoons and a kind of square-shaped arrangement of hammers and pipes. There and there, murmured Mink. What's wrong? said Mrs. Morris. Drill's stuck. Halfway. If we could only get him all the way through, it'll be easier. Then all the others could come through after him. Can I help? Mm, no, thanks. I'll fix it. All right, I'll call you for a bath in half an hour. I'm tired of watching you. She went in and sat in the electric, relaxing chair, sipping a little beer from a half-empty glass. The chair massaged her back. Children, children. Children in love and hate side by side. Sometimes children loved you, hated you, all in half a second. Strange children, did they ever forget or forgive the whippings and the harsh, strict words of command? She wondered, how can you ever forget or forgive those over and above you, those tall and silly dictators? Time passed. A curious waiting silence came upon the street, deepening. Five o'clock. A clock sang softly somewhere in the house in a quiet, musical voice. Five o'clock, five o'clock. Time's a-wasting, five o'clock. And purred away into silence. Zero hour. Mrs. Morris chuckled in her throat, zero hour. A beetle car hummed into the driveway. Mr. Morris. 
Mrs. Morris smiled. Mr. Morris got out of the beetle, locked it, and called hello to Mink at her work. Mink ignored him. He laughed and stood for a moment, watching the children and their business. Then he walked up the front steps. Hi, darling. Hello, Henry. She strained forward on the edge of the chair, listening. The children were silent. Too silent. He emptied his pipe, refilled it. Swell day. Makes you glad to be alive. Buzz. What's that? asked Henry. I don't know. She got up suddenly, her eyes widening. She was going to say something. She stopped. Ridiculous. Her nerves jumped. Those children haven't had anything dangerous out there, have they? Nothing but pipes and hammers. Why? Nothing electrical? Heck no, said Henry. I looked. She walked to the kitchen. The buzzing continued. Just the same you'd better go tell them to quit. It's after five. Tell them. Her eyes widened and narrowed. Tell them to put off the invasion until tomorrow. She laughed nervously. The buzzing grew louder. What are they up to? I better go look. The explosion. The house shook with dull sound. There were other explosions in other yards on other streets. Involuntarily, Mrs. Morris screamed, Up this way! She cried senselessly, knowing no sense, no reason. Perhaps she saw something from the corners of her eyes. Perhaps she smelled a new odor or heard a new noise. There was no time to argue with Henry to convince him. Let him think she's insane. Yeah, insane. Shrieking, she ran upstairs. He ran after her to see what she was up to. In the attic, she screamed. That's where it is. It was only a poor excuse to get him in the attic and and in time. Oh, God, in time. Another explosion outside. The children scream with delight as if at a great fireworks display. It's not in the attic, cried Henry. It's outside. No, no. Wheezing, gasping, she fumbled at the attic door. I'll show you. Hurry, I'll show you. They tumbled into the attic. She slammed the door, locked it, took the key, threw it into a far, cluttered corner. She was babbling wild stuff now. It came out of her. All the subconscious suspicion and fear that had gathered secretly all afternoon and fermented like a wine in her. All the little revelations and knowledges and sense that had bothered her all day, and which she had logically and carefully and sensibly rejected and censored. Now it exploded in her and shook her to bits. There, there, she said, sobbing against the door. We're safe until tonight. Maybe we can sneak out. Maybe we can escape. Henry blew up, but for another reason. Are you crazy? Why do you throw that key away? Damn it, honey. Yes, yes, I'm crazy, if it helps, but stay here with me. I don't know how in the hell I can get out. Quiet. They'll hear us. Oh, God, they'll find us soon enough. Below them, Mink's voice. The husband stopped. There was a great universal humming and sizzling, a screaming and giggling. Downstairs, the audio televisor buzzed and buzzed incessantly, alarmingly, violently. Is that Helen calling? And is she calling about what I think she's calling about? Footsteps came into the house. Heavy footsteps. Who's coming in my house? demanded Henry angrily. Who's tramping around down there? Heavy feet. Twenty, thirty, forty, fifty of them. 
fifty persons crowding into the house. The humming, the giggling of the children. This way, cried Mink below. Who's downstairs, roared Henry. Who's there? Hush. Oh, no, said his wife, weakly holding him. Please be quiet. They might go away. Mom, called Mink. Dad, a pause. Where are you? Heavy footsteps, heavy, heavy, very heavy footsteps came up the stairs, Mink leading them. Mom, a hesitation. Dad, awaiting a silence. They trembled together in silence in the attic, Mr. and Mrs. Morris. For some reason, the electric humming, the queer cold light suddenly visible under the door crack, the strange odor and the alien sound of eagerness in Mink's voice finally got through to Henry Morris, too. He stood shivering in the dark silence, his wife beside him. Mom! Dad! Footsteps, a little humming sound. The attic lock melted. The door opened. Mink peered inside, tall blue shadows behind her. Peekaboo, said Mink. The end. <laughs> Hope you guys liked it. It was a pretty short story, but it's a really fun science fiction short story. A little silly, but I really do like it. I am going to pick another one for next week that I think you guys are really going to like. One that's a little bit longer, but I did hope that you enjoy this. I do hope that you enjoy this and I hope you enjoyed it. Until next week, have a great rest of your week and happy hump day. Hello everybody, it is Julie Schrager, your host of Nothing But Julie podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. You know, um, I was diagnosed a few years ago with something called cervical radiculopathy, which is basically a pinched nerve in the neck. But let me tell you what a pain in the neck it is. Um, ever since I was diagnosed, I have had like a few flare-ups. And let me tell you, they have been painful. And they've lasted upwards of maybe a week to 10 days. Well, I am in the midst of a flare-up right now. And I have not slept in eight days or eight nights, and I am exhausted, and I'm in a lot of pain, and I've had to cancel um, taking care of some doggies because of it, and it's making me crazy, and I'm frustrated, and I'm angry, and I just want the pain to go away, and I question everything I'm doing, and you know, if I don't get surgery, then for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to worry about doing this or doing that, and if I want to lift weights, you know, should I be... I know what happened to cause this, and it's my own fault, but I honestly didn't realize at the time what I had done. And it seems as though every time I want to be physically active or do things to, um, you know, add to my workout regime, it always screws me up. And I know other people that have this issue um, that are living with the pain. And so it started making me think, you know, what can I discuss from my Monday mission? And I thought, oh, my God, I can talk about pain, pain management and working through the pain. And I thought, you know, working through the pain is probably something that we can all um, agree on that we have probably done at least once in our lives. 
you know, let's say you, I don't know, you, you hurt your ankle and I don't know, and you have to go to work and you have to be on your feet all day, you have to work through the pain. So, you know, what can you do when you literally are in the midst of having pain, but you have to still live your life? What are the things that, you know, you can do? Well, I think that you have to kind of do what I'm doing, which is if you have to work, um, you know, maybe you can modify your work where you are still able to do most of it, but there could be some form of modification. Um, Unfortunately for me, my job is walking uh, dogs and playing with dogs and feeding them. And there's a lot of twisting and bending and physicality involved in it. So unfortunately for me, my doctor told me, nope, you cannot do that. You need to rest. And I'm like, I'm not going to just sit on the couch and rest. But he did say to me, the one thing I can do is walk, not walk a dog, um, even if the dog is small, because it's still having to turn my head constantly, you know, pick up poop. (laughs) I hate to say that. You know, it involves a lot of neck movements versus just walking a straight arrow, which is actually a, a good thing you can do for your neck because it's exercise. And it gets the blood flowing and things like that. But the question remains, how do you work through it? How do you get by day in and day out when you're in pain, waiting for the pain to go away? Well, I guess the one thing is to not have a negative outlook, which is what I seem to be having right now. Questioning everything, going to the same websites, you know, thinking I'm never going to find relief when I know I will. Thinking surgery is the only option when it isn't. Um, but working through the pain is something I think that we can all do because when you're working through the pain, you're kind of taking your mind off of it. And for me, working through the pain is really about, you know, still doing things that need to be done, but picking and choosing those things and really not pushing myself because I need to get better. So what is it that you do? When you need to work through the pain, when you need to actually find a way to still do the things that you need to do, but in moderation or modification, there's always a way. I'm curious to know what your ways are. Well, anyway, wish me luck. I'm on week number two with this pain and I am praying that it gets better each day and it's not, but I'm hoping that it will. So anyway... My Monday mission, work through the pain.